Philippians chapter 4. Let's go over there and let's look at it for a second. We kept on going and we're coming from chapter 4. We're, we're pivoting from uh, this admonition to stand firm. To stand firm. Philippians chapter 4. And you know the theme has been, as we've gone through Philippians, if we've, we've lifted it from the first six verses, and that is that we're partners in the gospel. We're partners in the gospel. Paul is writing to his partners in the gospel of the church at Philippi. We come to chapter 4, and he says, Therefore, verse 1, My beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord beloved. I implore Yodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice! In the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the word of the living God. Amen. We, we, we've gone through, before we went to the... Uh, to the narrative about the lukewarm church in Revelation 3. We've gone through, we went through Philippians 4, 1 through 3 already. And we, we shared that in the last message. And now we're, we're picking up on verse 4 of Philippians 4. And it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. We talked about this before, but it certainly bears repeating. That you will find... In the book of Philippians, and you've heard this time and again, because many of you studied Philippians many times, and you've heard it taught, preached, and studied in Sunday school, and so on and so forth. But you'll find in this book of joy, the word joy, glad, rejoicing, mentioned some 19 different times. But the most important word that's repeated throughout the book of Philippians, that's repeated twice as much as that, is the word what? Jesus. You'll find Jesus in there 40 times because He's the source of the joy. You know, many people ascribe power to the power of positive thinking. But we as Christians ascribe power to the power of biblical thinking. Because it's just as Chad shared a while ago, picking up from what Adam observed in the text about the, about the fall of man. If you believe right, you'll act right. Belief precedes change, not the other way around. You don't change your way into another way of feeling. You, you, I mean, you don't believe your, you don't, you don't feel your way into another way of believing. You believe your way into another way of feeling. It begins with belief. It begins with confidence in God's Word. We have a secure anchor for our faith. The Christian faith is not a step into the darkness. The Christian faith is a step into the light. Because the Christian faith is standing on the Word of God. He is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And we have reason to rejoice. We have reason to rejoice. And we have reason to rejoice because it's in the Lord. Rejoice. Look at it. It doesn't just say rejoice. It says rejoice in the Lord always. And he repeats it. Again, I say rejoice. The fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy. Peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Jesus said that in the presence of God, there's joy forevermore. We take the, 
the, the, the uh, prodigal son narrative. And we call it the prodigal son when we should call it the forgiving father. The subject of that narrative is not the prodigal son. The subject of the narrative is the forgiving nature of God and His disposition toward repentant sinners. And it is, He gets slap happy about it. That's the whole text, is that there's joy in heaven over somebody who repents. There's joy in the presence of God. Jesus said, I spoke these things, that your joy may be full, it may be complete, because in me you'll have it. You know why? You know why? Because God's sovereign. God's sovereign. He knows everything. He is everything. He's trustworthy. The other day, Andrew and I were studying a history lesson together, and it was the Tudor period in England. I was learning as much as he was. And in that book, it says this. And I forgot why I embedded this in there, but I, I wrote, I somewhere write that down. Share it with the church. A man never sees himself right until he sees God right. That's absolutely true. We start with us. We need to start with Him. That's why David entered into a crescendo of praise. Every time he gave a lament in Psalms, he ended it with a crescendo of praise and said, wait a minute, it's coming full circle. I've seen God. I know who He is. I know your attributes. We celebrate them. And then the Holy Spirit takes His nail-scarred hand, lifts up our chin toward heaven, and lets us see the eternal and peer into the great things that God has freely given. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2. The Holy Spirit has been given so that we would know the things freely given to us in Christ. I love that song, Praise the Lord. When you're up against a struggle that shatters, shatters all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes, you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fear. Don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Praise the Lord. Satan is a liar. He wants to make us think that we're a paupers when he knows himself we're children of the king. So lift up the mighty shield of faith, for the battle must be won. And, and Jesus Christ is risen, and the work has already been done. He wants to talk us into something less than who we are. It doesn't boast us or put us or puff us up or pride, make us prideful. It just makes us have joy in him. Oh man, one time, one of the most sweetest tender moments with the disciples, Jesus looks at this little band of, this little motley crew that's following Him, and He told them, He stopped right in the middle of it, and He said, it's the Father's good pleasure, little flock, to give you the kingdom. I'm just going to flat bless you. I'm just going to flat bless you. I delight in blessing my children. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let's make it a habit of knowing Him. Let's make it a priority to know Him. Let's peer into the Scriptures and let the Scriptures peer into us. Let's celebrate the attributes of God. Let's find out what they are and let's celebrate them and let's praise Him back to Him. Back at you, God. You are great and greatly to be praised and your greatness is unsearchable. Oh, God, your testimonies are past finding out who is like our God. No one else. He's high and lifted up and there is none beside Thee. When we begin to do that, then we begin to have a not an escape mechanism for our circumstances, but a path to victory in the middle of them. It's not that we dismiss reality and dismiss the fear that can come upon us. It's just that we so focus on God that it doesn't take root. It doesn't take root. It need not in the life of the believer. He said, stand firm. Man, your post. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Galatians 5, 1. Ephesians 6, 11, 13, 14. Philippians 1, 27. 1 Thessalonians 3, 8. Stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. 
Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Man your post. Man your post. If I habitually go into the Scriptures to understand God, or to know God, not to understand Him, but to know Him. I can't understand Him, but I can know Him. I can know Him through His dear Son. If we do that habitually, you know what we're going to start to figure out? Whatever I don't know about God is more than made up for by what I do know about Him. I know Him to be trustworthy. I know Him to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I know Him to be a God who keeps His promises. I know Him to be a God who's overcome so that we might be overcomers. I know Him to be a God who loves. I know Him to be just. And I know Him to be a Savior. These are the things that we celebrate. Let's lift up our hills from which cometh our help. Lift up our hearts to the hills from which cometh our help. Our help cometh from the Lord. And the Bible says, Let your gentleness be made known to all. The Lord is at hand. You know that word gentleness? It comes from a word that means this. This is so cool. This is a cool word. It means patience to endure. It means charity toward the faults of others and their failures. It means to be big-hearted. It means that there's no vengeance in you, no bitterness, no desire for retaliation. It's a grace of living that the Holy Spirit imparts to those who are walking in Him. Let your gentleness be made known to all. Sometimes we as Christians in standing for our convictions can be pretty nasty about how we stand. We don't stand gently. We stand firmly. And then what happens is if we're not careful in the flesh, the enemy uses that to exalt us to the point where we get the glory and the praise for the convictions we hold rather than the one who gave them to us. There should be a gentleness and a graciousness about the spirits of believers. A patience and a charity toward others that is, is lifted and derived from and has as its source the great patience that God has had with you and the great patience that God has had with me. It's hard for me to be impatient with somebody else when I start to look at the laundry list of the times that God's been patient with me. Man, has He been patient with me? I feel this way. It might not be true, but I feel like of all the people in here, I know I've been patient with every one of you, but I believe I'm the number one. I'm, I'm the CEO of God being patient with somebody. I'm, on the, I'm the chairman of the board. Let your gentleness be made known to all. You know why you can be gentle? That little phrase right there, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. <laughs> Amen. You know what I love? Psalm 46.1 says this, that God, listen to this, is my refuge, He's my strength, and He's a very present help in time of need. I don't have to ask God to help and be present. I don't have to go through and just say, okay, God, I've called on you. He said, wait a minute, it's going to take me a few minutes. You know, I'm way up there. No. God's a very present help in time of need. Believer, He lives inside you. One of the seven most important words in all the New Testament. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He lives inside me and you. He is at hand. He is available. You never have to ask the Lord to be with one of His own. When you're praying for somebody else, don't say, Lord, be with Brother Al in the surgery. Celebrate the fact that the Lord is with Brother Al and pray that Brother Al will be aware of His presence. Not that he'll be the beneficiary of it because he already is as a believer. I don't have to ask him to do what he already has done. He's inside him. 
My prayer should be and is for him, Lord, when he does go through this and as he goes through this, may there be a heightened sense and awareness of your presence inside his life like never before. He said, okay, let your gentleness be made known to all. The Lord is at hand. And boy, these are some of the two most favored verses in the Bible. And certainly they are for me too. Let's look at it for just a minute. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's this notion that God's everywhere, and He is. And there's this notion that God's with everybody, and He's everywhere, but He's only in the believer. His habitation is in the heart of a believer, one who has repented toward God and put faith in His dear Son. He's not with the unbeliever, and therefore, in the sense of making habitation, and therefore the unbeliever does have reason to be anxious. Don't ever try to talk an unbeliever out of being anxious. They have reason to be anxious. They do. They have reason to wrench their hands and be anxious about the future. A unbeliever has good reason for anxiety. The opposite of that is true. A believer has no good reason for it. Now look at it. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Here's the deal. Paraphrase. Worry about nothing... Pray about everything. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. If you worry about nothing, that will be lifted because you've prayed about everything. He said, Lord, it, it seems like with we as believers, our prayer life is more like a Twitter account. We tweet God. I don't have a Twitter account. But it's my understanding, they limit you, is that right? To the number of characters and you just put these little bleeps on there and you Twitter God. And our prayer life as believers is like a Twitter account. And we just Twitter Him every now and then. You know, and to be honest with you, the Twittering is usually what we tell Him to do rather than petitioning Him according to His perfect will. So we, we're like God Twitters. Now throughout the day, it's, it's good to Twitter God. But there ought to be some time that we mark out where it's me and Jesus, where we do business together. And, 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 and where we meet together. Even the disciples, and we've affirmed this and talked about it many times, but as clueless as they often were, just like me and you, and as confused as they were about the cross and His mission, and, 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 and doubtful and fearful about Him telling them along the way, by the way, I'm going up to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me, they're going to beat me to no end, and they're going to kill me, and I'm going to be raised from the dead three days later. Any questions? And it just it would just go right over their head. Right over their head. You could tell in the narrative it goes right over their head. But even they picked up on this. This is what they picked up on. The only thing they ever asked him to teach them in the Bible is how to pray. And here's what they picked up on. Whatever you do over there when you meet with God is your sinner. I mean, I watch you. And we're hanging out with you. And there's one thing that you don't give up. You don't yield to anybody. You can have a spent night where you've ministered to people all day long, healed countless people, shared your message of good news and the gospel all over the place, and you've been busy, 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 busy. 
supernaturally busy. But there's one thing and there's one marked out place that you let nobody mess with. And that's when you get along with with God, Jehovah God, and something happens over there. And when you come out of there, you seem to know exactly what we're going to do, where we're going to go. And you have a power that says, no, don't go to Lazarus right now. Let him die first because I'm going to raise him from the dead. Don't do it. Delay your trip. Don't go over there. You had direction and you know exactly what you're supposed to do. In other words, the source of your power is that time with your God. What happens there? Will you show us what happens there? Because whatever happens out there happens because of what happens there. I've got a friend of mine who's in the, who was in the ministry, not now, but, he, but uh, they went to see a famous pastor once. I've told this story before. They were in uh, Fort Worth to go check out the seminary there. He and three fellow, uh, friends of his, and all four of them were called to the ministry. And they were brand new to everything. And they were naive enough to think that they could go by and talk to this pastor who pastored a real flagship church back in the Southern Baptist Convention when we were there. And uh, and they thought, well, let's go by and talk with him, you know. And they thought, well, we'll get on his calendar, you know. And so uh, they walk in there and the secretary says, when would you like to see him? And so, well, right now, be good. And she said, that's impossible. And so they walked out to the parking lot. They just wanted to get a couple of words from him, nuggets of truth that would help them. You know, that we guide the ministry. What could you what could you say? His young hands about to go to seminary, we got the future ahead of us, that kind of thing. So they saw him walking out the back door and they caught him in the parking lot and accosted him in the parking lot and said, Pastor, could you could you just have, give us a few minutes? He said, I'll give you twenty minutes. He wound up giving him about forty five minutes to an hour. They went up to his office and said, There's a one thing, just one thing. You know how you like to hear just one thing? Instead of give us eighteen things we need to do. Let's just limit this, just give me just give me the let's default to the lowest common denominator and just give me right there. Is there one thing that you would say to green men in the ministry who've got a ministry of lifetime ahead of them as we're about to go to seminary? And without hesitation, I mean without batting an eye, he said, save your mornings for Jesus. Save your mornings for Jesus. Don't give them to anybody else except Him. That's why that verse, I pray the Lord in the morning, God gave to me when I was 16 years old, calls me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. Calls me to, because I trusted you. Calls me to know the way in which I should walk. For I lift up my soul to you. The first part of that verse is, Lord, calls me to know you and your character and what you're like. Let me commune with you. Let me have interaction with you. Let's sit down at the table and have spiritual breakfast this morning. Would you speak to me? Would you just speak to me just for the fun of it? Don't tell me what I need to do as a pastor. Don't tell me what I need to do as a father. Don't tell me all of that stuff. That'll come. Just tell me about you more, more about Jesus. Oh, man, what a song. How does it go? More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of His saving fullness see. More of His love who died for me. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of His saving fullness see. More of His love who died for me. See, if you approach Him and say, Lord, I've got a list of 15 things I need answers for. And God's like, you're missing the point. I've got a different agenda. I've got a different agenda. I met a guy the other day. This is where where we're messing up as Christians. This is why we're not excited about evangelism like we ought to be. Let me tell you why. It's because when I'm sitting down, and I went and met a guy at Chick-fil-A Monday, last Monday. 
And we're sitting over there in Roswell at Chick-fil-A. I've never met him before in my life. The guy that arranged the meeting is sitting over there, and I've known him for 26 years. I was his banker for many years, so I really know him. And we're sitting there at the table, and we're talking about this very issue. And I said to this guy right here, the guy that I just, just met, I said, Neil, if somebody walked up right now, and I just met you two minutes ago, and they were interested in meeting you, and I'm the one that's called upon to introduce you, I'd be hard-pressed to do it because I barely know you. I barely know you. I can't say much about you. I respect you so far. So far, you hadn't done anything to embarrass us in the restaurant. You know, you seem to be having well-mannered and all that kind of stuff. And, everything, you know, things are kind of adding up to be on the good side. But I don't really know you. Now, contrast that with this other guy that's sitting across here. I've got a 26-year track record with him. I know him real well. So somebody comes up here and walks up here, and there's an introduction that takes place. I'm ready. I'm ready to introduce my dear friend here. But I'm reluctant to introduce you because I barely know you. And that's the plight of most Christians. Because we've not taken the time of knowing, we're not all that interested in introducing to somebody else. I think the navigator's got it right. To know Him is to make Him known. Knowing Him relieves anxiety because perfect love, as Pastor Dave just quoted, casts out all fear. Here's the deal. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Don't worry about, worry about nothing. Pray about everything. But if you pray about nothing, you'll worry about everything. Did you hear it? Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. And if you pray about nothing, you will worry about everything. That's what will happen. You'll be gripped by fear. Many decisions that you're making as a believer are not based on the fear of God, but they're based on the fear of whatever. You fill in the blank. The future, could it be? A lot of us are nervous and anxious about the future. We're wrenching our hands. Read the Bible. See how it turns out. Get a grip on it. it it's okay. You're a believer. You're going to be happy with what you find out. It's good. It's good. It's good. The tomb is empty. He's coming back. We have a place. If I journey there, prepare a place for you. John 14. I'll come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Here we go. One after the other. It's all coming full circle. There's no sense of being anxious about the future. Don't get looped into that. Don't listen to people who are motivated by fear other than fear of God. Don't listen to them. Because their fears will rub off on you. In everything by prayer. In everything. G. Campbell Morgan said this. I love this quote. Michael, this is a good one. I don't quote exactly right, but he said this. Somebody came to him one time and said, well, I don't want to bother God with the little stuff. I just want to take the big stuff to him. He said, big stuff to God. Hmm. Hmm. Let's ponder that for a minute. At what time... Do you have two categories where you could actually put something's little to God and something's big? <laughs> I don't think the big category is there, do you? So therefore, take everything to Him. 
And prayer is just prayer in general. It means a relationship. It means a dynamic relationship with God. And then supplication means specifically, yes, entreat Him, ask Him, request Him, and then accompany it with thanksgiving for the answer. Because you are going to get an answer. Many of you, I know what you're thinking right now. Well, I've got an answer to answer prayers. No, you don't. You don't have any unanswered prayers. For a believer, there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. It's either yes, no, or wait. But once you know the character of God and begin to understand the character of God, you'll be good with either one of those. I'll tell you another thing. The value of seeking Him is when you go after Him and you go after Him with diligence for no other reason except for just the pure joy of going after Him. He begins to guide you on how to pray. That happened to me this week. I spent time with the Lord, and the Lord specifically, I just kept going back and forth Monday morning, and Acts chapter 2 kept coming back to me. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. And I kept on trying to do something else, and the Lord said, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. I said, okay, let me see what Acts chapter 2 says. I've read it a bunch of times. Let me see. And there was a phrase in Acts chapter 2 that just went like that, off that page, and just went like that, gripped me in the heart. And God commissioned me to pray over that one phrase in a particular situation in this church. And He wouldn't let me go the rest of the morning. He will guide your intercession. If we go to Him and we listen to Him and we direct our affections toward Him, guided by His Word, directed by His Word, and pray His Word back to Him, He'll tell us how to intercede from heaven. Because again, the prayers that get answered from heaven are ones that originate there. And that supplication with thanksgiving, thank Him right now. Don't wait until you get the answer. Thank Him for the answer right now. Thank Him right now. Because you've taken time to reflect on His character and His good nature, you know He's going to come through in one way or the other. And could it be that the way you want the prayer answered would be the last thing that you would want if you knew how it was going to turn out? Let your request be made known to God. And that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Listen to this. Every Christian has peace with God, but not every Christian has the peace of God. If you're a Christian, you have peace with God. You're in. God has reconciled you to the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son to His dear bosom. And that is an eternal transaction. You have peace with God. Look at Romans chapter 5. Turn left and let's go look at it for a second. Romans chapter 5. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, look at the tense, having been Justified, not yet to be justified as a believer, having been justified by faith, declared not guilty by faith, what do we now have? We have peace with God. That is the inheritance of every believer through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we all also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Every believer has peace with God, but not every believer has found the peace of God. And God has ordered your circumstances and the people around and their players in your circumstances to bring you to the place where you not only have peace with God, 
Are you based on the fact that you have peace with God? He wants you to walk in the peace of God. And then we can sing with integrity, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarm, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, what a blessedness to walk in this pilgrim way, this journey that has been forged out by the one who went ahead of you, who walks behind you, he's your rear guard, he's to your left, he's to your right, and he's in you. That there is a rest, there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God that we can enter into a place where we that God supernaturally wipes the furrow off our brow. Because here's the deal. Every believer who has the peace of God has peace with God. But many believers have peace with God but don't have the peace of God. And the enemy has robbed you for that. Let's let him steal no more. Because as we begin to reflect on the character and nature of God, He will remove the anxiety. You know where depression comes from? Turn to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. The root of anxiety is fear. I mean, the root of depression is fear. And the root of fear is faithlessness. And the root of faithlessness is disbelief. And the root of disbelief is a, biblic, a, a non-biblically informed Christian who suckers at the breast of God every day through His sweet Word and is fed thereby and nourished. That's where it all comes from. We can have the peace of God. You have peace with God as a believer, but He wants you to walk with the peace of God. That's your inheritance. That's your grace. That's your right. That is your possession. And that is His will. Look at the verse 7. That peace of God, it surpasses understanding because it's transcendent. And it can't be acquired through any other means except through a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Entered into through the cross, which is the only way to go. And the power of the Holy Spirit to give us the faith to walk in it. And the world is after that and cannot figure out a way to get it. But they are interested in it nonetheless. And that peace will guard your heart and mind. The Bible says guard your heart because out of your heart springs the issues of life. You need to guard your heart. Watch out what's put in your heart. Because whatever's put in your heart you've got to deal with. You start batting it around in there, you've got to deal with it. And some of those things that take root in our heart ought not to be there in the first place. But if we've, if we've got a heart that's fed with the Word of God, and we're nourished with the Word of God, I can tell you to graze over there all day long. You don't have to worry about having picking up a weed or any kind of germ that's going to hurt you. You're not going to be hurt with the Word of God. You're not going to be hurt. And let that flow through you. You have the peace of God that will guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. And here's what will begin to happen. We're going to close with this. You can, you can just feel it. It's tangible. And you're around people, especially those of you in the workplace, you men that are out there day in and day out, and you're around people. There is a restlessness about uh, America, and there is an anxiety about our future like I've never experienced in my lifetime. 
I mean, things are said like, this next election is the most important election we'll ever have in our lifetime. I don't dismiss the fact that it's an important election. I don't dismiss that at all. And we're to vote our convictions. But if ever there was an opportunity, if there ever was an opportunity for the light to shine, it's now. And we make much of apologetics in the Christian life. We talk about, you know, be ready to give a defense for the reason that the hope of the hope that lies within you. When you're asked, be ready to give a defense. And we put so much emphasis on being ready to give the defense, we forget the whole text. And the text is this. It's to give an offense, the defense of hope that is so visible in your life that people come up to you and ask why you have it. Now let me ask you a question. I'm just asking, I'm just asking now. And we've asked this before. When is the last time somebody came up to you and said, you possess so much hope, would you tell me where you get that from? That ought to be the mark of a believer. I'll tell you one thing, that's the mark of a red-hot believer. Because friends, when you're up, you're up. And when you're down, you're down. But when you're only halfway up, you're neither up nor down. When you're left, you're left. When you're right, you're right. When you're in the center, you're still just in the night. When you're red hot, you're red hot. When you're cold, you're cold. When you're in the middle, you can only lead other people to cold. People do. People who don't have convictions are never called to compromise, because they don't have convictions to compromise. And if there's compromise, it always has to be the people who hold conviction. So you use the word compromise. That might sound good in a lot of endeavors, but in spiritual matters, it's rank and file evil. Now, what's it going to be? Are we going to be anxious for nothing and pray about everything? Or are we going to be pray about nothing and be anxious about everything? And if we pray about nothing and we're anxious about everything, I contend no one will be asking us for the hope that lies within us because no one will see it. Should we, should we be equipped biblically Biblically, to give the reason for the hope that lies within me? Biblically, a biblical defense for hope. My defense does not lie in the fossil record. My hope does not lie in the fossil record. I don't get up every morning and say, Lord, thank you for the fossil record because I know that I'm eternal because of the fossil record. I get up every morning and say, Lord, I know I'm eternal because the Bible says you were raised from the dead. And the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I know I'm eternal because Jesus said, because I live, you too shall live. I know I'm eternal because Christ died for my sins according to the Scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I I've got hope, and my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I've got well-founded hope, and I've got biblical reason to back it up. Here it is. That lies my hope. And if we're not perusing it and going in there after it and finding it out, we won't have hope to put on display. And nobody's going to be asking us for the reason we have it, because we're not going to be displaying it. And it all goes back to that relationship issue. Oh, dear ones! Leave a church or a denomination as fast as you can if they don't encourage you and beg you to immerse yourself in this Word. Don't pass go or collect $200. Get away from them as fast as you can. We're begging you. Pick up this book. Eat. 
this scroll. And as you do that, the eternal words of life will be embedded in there. And it won't be what thus saith your feelings. It won't be what thus saith the culture. And it won't be thus saith Lindsay Lewis or Pastor Dave. It'll be that I've got a cat head biscuit from the griddle of glory. And God served it up for me this morning. I've heard from the Lord. You cannot talk me out of it. Amen. And I'm telling you right now, oh, if we were that kind of church and we were that kind of believer and that kind of people, we would pray about everything. We would be anxious about nothing. And we would carry everything to Him. Not just to hear our answer, but just to hear a melodious verse from heaven about the glories of what God purchased through His dear Son. Amen. That'll elevate your living. That'll elevate your living.